All right, hello everyone and welcome to the newest edition of the Peyton Doyle Show. I'm Peyton Doyle, host of the Peyton Doyle Show. I hope you all are having a wonderful day today. Thank you for tuning in. We are currently live on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, if you can't tune in for the entire show, no need to worry. The show will be uploaded here on YouTube. And also, the audio version will be available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts shortly after the conclusion of the show. I've got a great show lined up this morning for you guys. This is what we've got coming up. Debo Samuel has requested a trade from the San Francisco 49ers. So I'll be giving you my thoughts on that situation and where his most likely trade destinations would be. I also will address some of my thoughts on the whole Ben Simmons saga and another player who is sitting out of playoff games but is seemingly healthy to all of us. Yes, that would be Zion Williamson. I also will be bringing on a good friend of mine and a good friend of the show, uh, Jared Barnes, host of the Jared Barnes Show and host of the new show, Tap In. The link to his channel will be in the description below. He's going to give us thoughts about tomorrow's uncertain and extremely unique NFL draft. Then I'll wrap up the show by giving my biggest winners and biggest losers over the past week in the sports world. So stay tuned for all of that coming up. But first, I opened up last week's show so excited. If you guys can remember, I was so excited about the Boston Celtics and Brooklyn Nets series. I was absolutely geeking out as a fan. I mean, I was so caught up in the moment that I said the series would go seven games, and I even said that I'd take Brooklyn in seven. I personally believed that the Celtics' physical style of play would wear them down, and throughout the series, I thought that having to guard both Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving would just be too much for them. But it was actually the complete opposite. The Celtics wore down the Nets Quite easily, KD and Kyrie both did not respond well to the physical defense of the Celtics, thus leading to the Nets being the only team to have been swept in the first round of this year's playoffs. Here are my three biggest takeaways from this series. My first takeaway is, here comes the Boston Celtics. Here they come. They are legit. What does everyone say about the Miami Heat? They're well coached. They play exceptional defense. They have good depth. But do they have a star? Most people, including myself, would say no. They do not have a star player. And that is exactly what is holding them back from being true contenders in the Eastern Conference. But guess what? The Celtics are well coached. They have good depth. They play exceptional defense. And they have what the Heat are lacking, and that is a star player. Jason Tatum is a star on both sides of the ball, which is rare in today's NBA. Him and Jalen Brown are a one-two punch to be feared. They rank up there with the best of the best in the NBA. The emergence of the Celtics has been such a fun one to watch. They were always pretty much a, a pretty decent team under Brad Stevens. Um, however, there were a lot of questions 
uh, surrounding Brad Stevens and his ability to coach NBA stars and if he was able to unlock the team's full potential. Because the Celtics were always pretty good, but they couldn't ever get over the hump. And it showed that Brad Brad Stevens was ultimately not the guy that could get the Celtics over the hill, over the hump in the Eastern Conference. But now comes in Ime Udoka. And, and, and to start the season, the Celtics struggled. Many questioned Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum's ability to play together. Some called them selfish, and some even questioned if the Celtics should trade one of them before the trade deadline and just blow it all up and start over. But the Celtics had other plans. Ime Udoka was able to keep this young team focused despite all of the outside noise, despite all of the trade rumors, despite all of the early season struggles and question marks surrounding the team. They stayed focused. After the All-Star break, the Celtics had the best record in the NBA, and they've kept that energy going into the playoffs. The Celtics have clearly bought into Ime Udoka's plan of hard, and physical defense that also includes good ball movement on offense. This is a team that plays together, and it's finally looking like the Celtics might have what it takes to make some real noise in the Eastern Conference. Secondly, Jason Tatum has arrived. He has become undoubtedly a top 10 player in the NBA. His elite ability on both ends of the floor, has elevated him into NBA stardom. He clamped up a guy who many consider to be the most talented scorer in NBA history. Prior to Game 4, Kevin Durant was only 2 for 15 from the field with Tatum as his primary defender, and he also had 10 turnovers while Tatum was guarding him. That is clamps right there, my friend. That is absolute cramps. Not only that, Tatum averaged more points than Kevin Durant. He averaged more assists than Kevin Durant and nearly as many rebounds as Kevin Durant did. Tatum absolutely dominated his matchup with one of the greatest players in the world at the moment. That's the sign of a true superstar. That's what I like to see out of my team's best player. Doesn't shy away from the moment and executes when it matters the most. That's exactly what Tatum did, and I can't wait to see what he will continue to do as the Celtics continue their playoff run. And my finally, my final takeaway of this game is, wow. The Brooklyn Nets have problems. In the, in the playoffs, highlights simply don't matter anymore. The flashy plays don't matter anymore because at the end of the day, it, it, it's, it goes down to tough defense, good matchups, and, and good ball movement in the playoffs. Every shot matters just a little bit more in the playoffs. I don't know what was going through my mind or anyone else's mind who thought that the Nets would win this series. The Nets are the Eastern Conference version of the Los Angeles Lakers. Terribly coached play terrible defense, have zero heart, and don't play well as a collective unit. But they have AD and LeBron. Yeah, but both of them are barely on the court. But but the Nets, they have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. How could you go wrong with that? Yeah, but just like Anthony Davis and LeBron, 
both Kyrie and KD aren't on the court. They don't play basketball that much. The team has absolutely zero, zero chemistry. Just like the Lakers, the Nets suck on defense. Steve Nash doesn't really know how to coach. They have zero depth, zero chemistry. And they also, like the Lakers, draw in a circus show from the media off the court. I don't know what I was thinking. The Nets' whole scheme is a recipe for disaster. They matched up against a well-coached team that plays good defense, is deep, can rebound, and they move the ball around on offense, and the Nets got absolutely shell-shocked. Just sheer star power in the NBA is no longer going to cut it. Because if you take a look at Memphis, if you take a look at Boston, if you take a look at Milwaukee, look at Phoenix, look at Miami. Now, listen, a lot of those teams, they do have superstar players on them. But one, they spread the ball around on offense. Two, they play hard on both ends of the ball. And three, and probably most importantly, there's no drama. There's no circus show surrounding these teams off the court. They all just handle business. Everyone does their job. Players play, coaches coach, managers manage. Good luck, Brooklyn. Good luck, because you've got a lot on your hands to figure out this offseason. And another thing that the Nets will have to figure out this offseason, they traded for a guy who doesn't like to play basketball. They traded for a basketball player who is scared and doesn't like to play basketball. That, of course, would be Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons hasn't played a basketball game in exactly 311 days. This all started when he requested a trade from Philly and decided to sit out the beginning of the season due to mental health issues. So initially, it was like, okay, I get it. Listen, mental health is a serious, serious issue. And a lot of times it is very overlooked. And it needs to be taken seriously. Then, however, he gets traded to Brooklyn. His wish was granted. He got out of Philadelphia. His return was set to be in the regular season. Actually, it was set to be against the 76ers. However, he sustained this mysterious back injury, which set back his recovery process. Listen, I have absolutely zero clue. Zero clue in the world. It doesn't make sense. I'm not a mathematics guy, but something's not adding up here because I don't know how Ben Simmons managed to hurt his back when he's not playing basketball. What did he do? No one knows what he does. The, the, the team doesn't know what he did. His teammates don't know what he did. He just has a random back injury, right? Back injury and doesn't want to play basketball. Then all of a sudden playoffs come around and you still haven't come back. Ben Simmons still hasn't returned. Since before the playoffs started, game four was the target game for Ben Simmons to return. That's when the Nets expected him back, and that's when Simmons said he was aiming to be back four. But then guess who wasn't even at Barkley Center on Tuesday night? Ben Simmons, missing in action, gone, wasn't even there, wasn't at the stadium, nowhere to be seen. This is getting ridiculous. This is getting completely out of hand. Ben Simmons has zero interest in playing basketball. He demonstrated 
that he has zero interest in playing basketball before the whole saga even started from the day that Ben Simmons was drafted number one overall to the Philadelphia 76ers. He has not improved, not even a little bit. Ben Simmons' strengths and weaknesses back then when he was drafted are his strengths and weaknesses now. He's the same player. He hasn't put in any effort to improve his game. Now, on top of that, he's showing that he doesn't even have the competitive fire to play when his team needs him the most. From the day he's entered the NBA, it's only been about him. Ben Simmons was only ever about Ben Simmons. Never a team player, never a fierce competitor, extremely timid on the court, and never put in the time and or the effort to improve his game off the court. He even sued. He sued the 76ers for the money that he lost while he was deciding to not show up to work. Listen, I have a job. If I call my boss right now and I say, hey, I'm not coming in for the next month. I'm not getting paid. I didn't earn that money. I wasn't there. I wasn't at work. That's how life works. How self-centered do you have to be to think that you're entitled to money you didn't even earn? You weren't at work, Ben Simmons. I just don't get it. How, and it's not even like he's he's working a, a job that's risking his life or, 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 or doing anything like that. It's playing basketball. Playing basketball. He doesn't want to do it. He has no interest in playing basketball. The even bigger problem here is that it's not just us. It's not just us in the media who don't know when Ben Simmons will be playing basketball again. It's also his employer. The Brooklyn Nets have zero clue when Ben Simmons will play basketball again. But listen, I'm not even going to sit here and only call out Ben Simmons and his heart and his competitive spirit. Zion Williamson, where are you, bro? Where are you at? You've had this mysterious foot injury that you've been privately rehabbing in Portland for some odd reason for the majority of the season, and now you've decided to return to the Pelicans, and now we're all seeing videos of you doing between the legs, 360 off the glass windmill dunks in the layup line. Get on the court, bro. Come on, man. What are you doing? If you can do that, get on the court. It's not like you don't have a winning team around you. The Pelicans look like a nice young team with Brandon Ingram and now CJ McCollum. And their new head coach, Willie Green, has these guys ready to play. Look at how they're doing against the best team in the NBA. 63 wins. The Phoenix Suns. Look at how they're doing against them. They're, they're putting up a great fight. And even though they lost last night, they played tight, down to the wire, wire to wire against the best team in the NBA. Could you imagine what this series would look like if Zion Williamson was on the court? Zion, where's the competitive spirit? Where's your heart? Don't think you can just duck the criticism because Ben Simmons plays in Brooklyn and you play in New Orleans, so nobody is going to talk about you for doing the same exact thing that Ben Simmons is doing. You need to be on the court. If you can effortlessly perform a between-the-legs self-alley-oop in the layup lines, you can give a minimum of 20 minutes on the floor. 
I don't know what happened. I don't know what's up with these NBA stars and losing competitive spirit. And it's not even just these guys. It's almost everyone. What happened to wanting to be out there for your team? What happened to putting it all on the line to win games? What happened to that? Competitive spirit, man. Where did it go? In other news, this was the bombshell dropped on the NFL world last week. Probably an hour after the conclusion of this show last week, NFL insider Jeff Darlington broke news that the 49ers star wide receiver, Debo Samuel, has requested a trade. This comes following rumors that he was seeking a new contract from the team that was similar to those of Tyreek Hill's new contract and Devontae Adams' new contract. But now, it seems as if Debo is telling the 49ers, I don't want a new contract with you. I want to be traded to a new team. Why is that? Apparently, he doesn't like his role as a running back wide receiver hybrid player. And now most, most people would say, well, what? He doesn't like doing what makes him great? Isn't that what makes him great is that he he's he's playing two positions. He's playing well at running back and wide receiver. Listen, I honestly see why Debo would no longer want that role as that hybrid player. Look at how much wide receivers are being paid versus how much running backs are being paid. If you're a hybrid mix in between those two positions, your value on your next contract is going to be a mix between those two positions. Also, not to mention the wear and tear that it's going to take on your body. Plus, let's be honest, Debo is not known for his ability as a running back. He's known for being one of the best wide receivers in the game at the moment, and especially his ability to create plays after the catch. The trade market for Debo must be insanely high. I mean, he's young, he's an all pro, he's talented, he creates he creates plays after the ball's in his hands. So if the 49ers are indeed willing to trade him, these here are the five most likely trade destinations, in my opinion, for Debo Samuel. At, at number five, I have the New York Giants. Now I haven't heard a lot of buzz around the Giants and having interest in Debo, but this is a team that is desperate for a wide receiver. The Giants are also one of the few teams with enough capital to give up for him. They have two picks inside the top 10 in this year's draft. Not only do they have the picks to give up, but this is also interesting here. They also have a player to give up as well. Apparently, the Giants are looking to trade wide receiver Kadarius Toney. When on the field, Tony showed a lot of promise in his rookie year, but he dealt with a lot of injuries and apparently some of the off some off the field issues have led to the Giants looking to trade him. It's a risk because he has the off the field issues, but Kadarius Tony is a extremely talented receiver who if healthy can contribute can put in valuable time as a wide receiver in that 49ers offense especially. So he might be a viable replacement option if they were to go that route. Now, listen, it's a risk, like I said, but packaging Tony with the seventh overall pick might be an enticing deal for John Lynch if he does indeed have to trade Debo. Listen, this is all that this is going to come down to. If the 49ers can find a way to make this work with Debo, they will. And John Lynch has made that clear. However, 
it's not seeming like Debo wants to stay. Just seeing the videos of him at the nightclub when they're saying Debo's staying and he's just saying, nope, nope, not staying. It seems like Debo's on his way out. So that would be a good package if they were having to trade Debo Samuel. At number four, I have the Green Bay Packers. The Packers do have two late first round picks this season. And we all know that Aaron Rodgers would love to have a new number one receiver after they traded away Devontae Adams this offseason. Debo also would fit perfectly in a Matt LaFleur's offense because it's very similar to Kyle Shanahan's offense in San Francisco. The only problem is I don't see the 49ers trading their best player to the team that they just barely beat in the playoffs last year. That probably is not the wisest move. If they do trade Debo, I'm sure they'd say, get him as far away from San Francisco as humanly possible. Get him out of the NFC, out of our division, to where we're probably never going to see Debo again. They don't want to have to face Debo in the playoffs, especially if he's if he's got Aaron Rodgers throwing him the ball. Now at number three, I have the New Orleans Saints. Could you imagine pairing Debo Samuel with a healthy Michael Thomas? That would be incredible. And I'm sure Jameis Winston would be an extremely, extremely happy man. The thing is, this dream could very much so be a reality. After trading with the Eagles, the Saints now have two mid-first-round selections. However, we aren't sure if the Saints believe in Jameis Winston moving forward, and they might want to use one of those picks to draft a quarterback this season. Plus, they're already paying Michael Thomas a lot of money, so I'm not sure how they'd be able to work that out with a cap, and if they really want to pay Debo that extension that he's looking for, especially after they already paid Michael Thomas that record amount of money at the time, and it hasn't really worked out. So maybe they're not looking to pay another wide receiver that much money again. Now at number two, I have the Houston Texans. This would be a great idea for San Francisco. Trade them to Houston. Trade them to Houston. Get them as far away as possible, as possible from the San Francisco 49ers. Plus, the Texans actually do have the capital to give up for them. The Texans have two picks in the top 15 of this year's draft after the Deshaun Watson trade. Plus, what better way to see if Davis Mills is the guy than to give him both Brandon Cooks and Debo Samuel? I think that this trade would make a lot of sense for both teams. You have a young quarterback in Houston. You want to give him as much weapons as possible. And then San Francisco is also like, are we really going to play Houston in the playoffs? Probably not. And they have the picks to give up for him. That is a trade that makes sense. But at number one, this one was, was undoubtedly number one. I have the New York Jets. The Jets have been the team that has been most linked with Debo. Um, Almost the split instant that the news broke that Debo has requested a trade, the Jets were all over this. It just had the Jets fingerprints all over this Debo trade. I'm sure they were instantly on the phone with John Lynch saying, what do you want? What do you want? The Jets have the capital to give up for him. They also are in deep need for a wide receiver. Debo would be the perfect fit in this Jets offense. Mike LaFleur runs an offense similar to his brothers 
in Green Bay, Matt LaFleur, and he also runs an offense similar to that in San Fran with Kyle Shanahan. And also, head coach Robert Sala was the defensive coordinator in San Francisco when Debo first entered the league. So the history is there, the fit is there, and the Jets have the capital to do so. I think they should strongly pursue Debo Samuel. He's the perfect player for that offense. And how do you expect to keep up with Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs or, 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 or Tua Tagovailoa and Tyreek Hill without having a star wide receiver yourself? Adding Debo would make the Jets one step closer to being an explosive offense. And I'm sure that would help Zach Wilson out a lot to have a guy who could create plays after the catch. You get him into open space and you let him do his thing. Of course, listen, this is all speculation and any team with, with, with trade with trade interest in Debo, they better move quickly because the NFL draft is a day away and the 49ers don't seem like they're in a huge hurry to trade the young star receiver. Why would they? Whoever's going to put an offer in needs to sweep the 49ers off their feet. That is clear and obvious. They need to be swept away with this offer and then they'll take it. Now it is time to bring on my man, Jared Barnes of the Jared Barnes show and host of the new show Tap In. How you doing, Jared? What's going on, Peyton? Good to be here. Excited. I know, man. It's good to have you on. Um, I want to start off here with this Debo Samuel talk. I was just just getting into that. What do you think about this whole situation? This is interesting because it, it started off with a contract dispute, and now it seems that Debo's saying, no, I, I don't even want a contract from you guys. I want to be traded. Please get me out of San Francisco, which seems like a pretty decent situation for him. Where do you think he'll wind up if the 49ers do trade him? And what what's the price for a guy like Debo? Price is high for a guy like Debo. You're going to have to trade the farm to get him. Let's be honest. Like, right now it's rumored that the Jets are willing to give their 10th pick in this year's draft to get him. And that would be a massive, a massive deal. Because I, I know they're not just giving up the 10th pick to get him. But I originally thought that the Debo thing was a negotiating tactic. You delete all the San Francisco 49ers things off your social media. You pretend to be mad at the organization. And then it gets you money. It's worked in the past with other players. It looks like it's probably will have already worked with Kyler Murray. I think Debo thought it was going to work for him. I think what happened was Debo did not get the offer from the 49ers that he wanted, even though supposedly the 49ers haven't offered anything yet. I think Debo realized that his value to the 49ers was going to be lower than what he was actually wanting, especially after he saw the Adams contract, the Christian Kirk contract, and other wide receivers. And because of that, he no longer wanted to play running back because they were only going to pay him a combined salary for the two and not a combined salary for wide receiver added on with some running back salary. So due to this, he did what he he did this dispute kind of thing where he, you know, kind of fought the organization a little bit. I think he's going to be moved now, though. I think he will be traded probably on draft night. And I mm -hmm. think he's going to go to the New York Jets if he goes mm -hmm. anywhere because Robert Sala, that connection just makes sense to me. And the Jets, have anybody that would want to trade for him would be willing to give up the most. Yeah, and not only that, they also have the most to trade for him. 
if you're the Jets, I think it's I think it's a slam dunk to give up the 10th overall pick to get a guy like Debo Samuel. Because like I said, the division that they're in has quarterback and wide receiver duos. Yep. You need to be able to match that energy or else Zach Wilson isn't going to be able to thrive. Um, so I think it's I think it's slam dunk. I think Joe Douglas should be on the phone with John Lynch and and should be completely like on his on his behind about getting this trade done before draft day. Now, speaking of, of the draft, th- this is the most unpredictable draft in recent memory, is it not? I mean, it, how rare is it that we don't even know who the first overall pick is going to be a day before the draft, a day before the draft? Right now, uh, the betting favorite to be the number one overall pick is Trevon Walker. He just surpassed Aiden Hutchinson, Aiden Hutchinson, this week as the odds on favorite. Um, I'm personally not buying it. I think the Jags will select Hutchinson at number one overall. Who do you think will be the number one overall pick tomorrow night? I am all in on the Jaguars selecting Trayvon Walker. Mm. I think when you look at Trent Balky's record of drafting, he doesn't necessarily draft for who is the top player right now. He drafts for who could potentially be the top player in a few years, who has the most potential. And when you look at Walker and Hutchinson, I think Hutchinson is a slam dunk. You take him. But when you look at Walker, you see this potential where he could be a top pass rusher where he could fail out. And that's the interesting part with Walker, but Balky likes to take that, those chances because back in the day in the early 2010s, he drafted Alden Smith over J.J. Watt, and then Alden Smith had double-digit sacks in his first season as a 49er. He looked like he had a chance to be one of the top pass rushers in the league, and then for whatever reason, he failed out and you know was out of the league for four years, then came back with Dallas, I want to say it was this past year or two years ago. But Balky has done it in the past where he's taken a player that looked like they had better potential than the actual slam dunk. So I'm not going to put it past him to do it again here in Jacksonville this year. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what we're hearing is that Trent Baalke wants Trevon Walker, but ownership with Shad Khan says, why don't we take Aiden Hutchinson? He's the guy who's the safest pick here at number one. There's no one that it, that stands out above the rest. Why don't we take the, the safest and most refined player in the draft? Uh, why, why would they not want Aiden Hutchinson? I mean... Do you think that Aiden Hutchinson would go two overall if if they pass on him at one? I do believe so. I mean, if yeah, it would make sense. Like, oh, if he could go and be Aiden Hutchinson and Dan Campbell, yeah. keeping Aiden Hutchinson in Michigan, that would be great for Detroit. Although, I would like to see Shad Khan actually step up and like you know defend his organization for the first time in his life and quit being such a coward. He hired Urban Meyer, who was a failure. Trent Baalke was the GM that he brought in with Urban Meyer, who, in my opinion, he probably should have fired as well. Hmm. And because he let Urban Meyer make these decisions that he made, knowing that Urban Meyer was not a – Urban Meyer was not going to work in the NFL. I did. I never thought he was, and yet Baalke let him make some of the free agency decisions and the draft decisions that he made which kind of has him back in the spot of selecting number one yet again. And I think Shad Khan should take some ownership because he is literally the owner of a billion-dollar organization 
and draft who he wants to draft and not let the GM make the decision, especially if he thinks Aiden is going to work out better for the team in comparison to Trayvon Walker. Mm-hmm. I mean, one another thing that's interesting about this draft here, Jared, is, is that th- this is a, a quarterback's league. You know, we, we yes. all know that. Um, yes. But this year, there doesn't seem to be a lot of buzz around the quarterbacks of this class. I mean, I know that y- your sources are telling you that that Kenny Pickett is is the guy that Carolina wants at, at six overall. But is he the best quarterback in this in this draft class? Who do you think is the best quarterback in this year's draft class? I'm a little biased. It is to be fair, Kenny Pickett. I'm a Pitt guy. Pitt yeah. Panthers are my favorite college team. But I've watched Kenny Pickett throughout the years, and yes, this was Kenny Pickett's best year. Yes, it is true. Kenny Pickett threw more touchdowns this year than he did in his four years starting combined at Pitt. But that doesn't matter. In my opinion, Kenny Pickett is the best quarterback by far in this draft because he's the most pro-ready as well. He can start week one and be fine. A lot of people think that Kenny Pickett is at his ceiling right now, but this was like the first time that Kenny Pickett got to sit in an offense for two or three years. He had three or four different offensive coordinators at the University of Pittsburgh in his time. This was the third year he was in Mark Whipple's system. He improved every single year, and you saw what happened when he finally got a weapon in Jordan Addison. He had a wide receiver that was talented, that he could do some work with, and they dominated college football. Jordan Addison won the Belentikoff Award. Kenny Pickett was a Heisman contender, should have still won the Heisman. I don't care what anybody says. You don't have a turnaround like that. Lead a dumpster team like Pitt as far as you did and not win the Heisman. But as you can see, that one still burns me up. Kenny Pickett's the best quarterback in this draft by far. After that, I'd say maybe Malik Willis. In my opinion, it's a toss-up between – it's literally 1A, Kenny Pickett, 1B, you'd have Malik Willis, Sam Howell, Matt Corral in that three category, and it's whoever you feel like necessarily fits your system the best. Okay. I personally would go with Malik Willis as the best quarterback in this draft, all because of upside, simply because of upside. Yes. Uh, Kenny Pickett, while you're right, is the most pro-ready quarterback in this in this year's draft. I feel like it's undeniable that Malik Willis has the highest upside. And when I look around the NFL, when Josh Allen came out, he wasn't the most pro-ready. Josh Rosen was the most pro-ready. Look where Josh Rosen's at. Josh Allen was the guy with the most upside. Look where Josh Allen's at. Same thing with Mahomes. Wasn't the guy with the most upside, or wasn't the guy who was the most pro-ready, but had a lot of upside. Mitch Trubisky, pro-ready. I I don't see, I, I think Kenny Pickett's closer to his max than Malik Willis is. And that's why I personally would go with Malik Willis as the best quarterback in this draft. Um, but in a draft with 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 so much uncertainty, and it's insanely hard to predict. Do you have any bold predictions as to what might happen tomorrow night? Yeah, I think Debo Samuel is going to be traded tomorrow night. Mm. I think the Jets will. I think there's going to be, there's either going to, if there's not a run at receivers early, because like if Garrett Wilson goes before pick number 10, I think they make the I think they because I think they already have the package in place and they're waiting to see kind of what happens in the draft and see who's there. But I think there's a good chance Debo gets moved. I think there's three quarterbacks that go inside the top 20. Mm. And 
I do be, I and I believe that the three quarterbacks that will go inside the top twenty are Kenny Pickett, Malik Willis, and Matt Corral. Mm-hmm. I expect there to be four quarterbacks to go in the first round, which sound which it, for this draft sounds like a lot. But if I got three going inside the top 20, I think that Detroit's plan, this is also kind of something I heard from my source, says, and uh, I think the Detroit Lions plan is if Aiden's there at two, take Aiden, take the best available player at two, take a quarterback at 32 where they're picking at the end of the first round. And I could see them snagging Sam Howell or another quarterback at that position. This is the wildest draft I've ever seen in my life because there isn't like necessarily like slam dunks there isn't like anybody that teams are like willing to get rid of their entire draft board to get and because of that like it's rumored that teams want to trade out of the first like six picks and i've never heard that before where teams want to get out of the first six because they think they have a better chance of landing somebody later in the draft because it's very deep but it's not very top heavy and when you're selecting that high you know it can be kind of tough but yeah, I don't, it, there's a lot of there's a lot of bold predictions I could go with, but like it's so unpredictable that I just don't. I think they're going to see a run at receivers mm-hmm. in the ten through twenty five area. You could see five receivers go from ten to twenty five. Wow, yeah, I mean it, it is a receiver heavy class, but like you said, it, it's so weird. Everyone in the in the top five wants to trade back, but the interest in trading up isn't there because like you said, it's deep, but not top heavy. So this has been one of the weirdest drafts and most hardest one to predict. I mean, I feel like if I went down and made a mock draft, I could probably get four or five, right? I mean, that's how unpredictable that this is going to be, which is why I find it so exciting. But my bold prediction, it was almost like you just read my sheet before the show here. Um, <laughs> we, we, we always tend to do that. Don't we? Yeah, Every time we it, do. it just seems like we have agreeing opinions. I said, I believe there's going to be a minimum of four quarterbacks selected in the first round. Those being Kenny Pickett, um, Malik Willis, Matt Corral, and Desmond Ryder. I think those I four quarterbacks going are well. going to go in the first round. And I think a minimum of two teams will trade up in the first round or trade into the first round to select a quarterback in, in a year where quarterbacks aren't, aren't, aren't beloved. Yeah. Now it, it's going to be interesting to see your Pittsburgh Steelers right now. I know this yes. is this, you weren't expecting this, but I do want to ask, it's do right. you think, do you think the Steelers are, are, are one of those teams that might draft a quarterback? I know they signed Mitchell Trubisky to a deal, but will they take a quarterback in the first round? I think they got their hands kind of tied by, you know, some un, you know, some terrible circumstances that happened just a few weeks ago. The passing of Dwayne Haskins kind of tied their hand a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of it's kind of sad that I even have to say that because I do believe they would have taken a, a quarterback in the first round if he's there. Now I think they have to. Because they don't have the depth on the roster. They don't have anybody to necessarily compete with Mitch Trubisky because I do think that this, the quarterback competition in Pittsburgh this upcoming season would not have been Mitch and Mason. It would have been Mitch and Dwayne, which is such a shame on why he passed and stuff like that. But, yeah, 
I think they will have to, I think they have to take a quarterback, but if, cause in my mind, I think Willis will get taken before they're able to select him. I think again, I, I genuinely do believe that Kenny Pickett is going to go pick number six. Mm-hmm. And I think Matt Corral is going to get drafted to the saints. They all pick before the Steelers. So if the Steelers want to land one of those guys, they're going to have to trade up. And if they want to land Pickett, they're going to have to trade up pretty far. I think they have a good chance of landing Matt Corral. I know they like Matt Corral because the Steelers every single year go to the Ohio State Pro Day. Mike Tomlin is always there. Kevin Colbert, the GM, always there. This year they missed it because they were an old miss. Mm -hmm. They were looking at Matt Corral. They took Malik Willis out to dinner. They went to Malik Willis's pro day. They were at Kenny Pickett's pro day. They were at Sam Howell's pro day. The list goes on. They were there. They are interested in drafting a quarterback. All the signs point to, yes, they're going to draft one in the first round, but I don't think the Steelers are going to be super aggressive and trade up to get them. I think they're just going to take whichever one falls to them. And if they feel like they can trade back, I expect them to even trade back and move back and to then take their quarterback. I would love to see them draft Sam Howe if he's there. I'd also like to see them draft Desmond Ritter if he's there, but I think they could trade back and still manage to get both of those guys. Yeah, certainly. I mean, it, it would be a, a good option to trade back for a quarterback. Now we'll see what happens on draft night because teams start to get anxious and they, they want to trade up for their guy. Oh my gosh, are they going to pick him before us? He's our guy. We need to trade up. That's why I think that there's going to be multiple trade-ups for quarterbacks that people didn't really see coming, but Jared, it's it's been great having you on. Um, but before you go, please let the audience know uh, where to find you and what you've got coming up next. Yeah, um, yeah, you can find me on YouTube at the Jared Barnes Show. Like he said, the link will be in the bottom of this video. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Jared Barnes Show, Twitter Jared Barnes Show, TikTok. I'm gonna try to start posting on all my social medias a, a little more, especially now that the school year will be ending here in the next few weeks for me. Um, I host a show called Tap In. It's a 30 to 40 minute sports show where it's literally just a half hour of just quick sports takes and stuff like that. If you're a fan of like first take undisputed and stuff like that, you might like that show. And then over the summer, I plan on bringing my podcast back the Jared Barnes show and focusing on talking to people and have long form conversations with individuals in the sports industry, even maybe some athletes on, you know, life stuff and stuff in the sports industry and like just sports takes in general. So yeah, that's pretty much it. Awesome, man. Super exciting stuff, bro. Um, Thanks for coming on, man. Hey, I appreciate you having me. Yeah, man. Thank you. All right. Great, great guy. As always, Um, always a pleasure having Jared on the show. Um, He was a guy, he actually, he actually took a little bit of a break like I did, but now he's back and, and it was great to be able to have him on. Make sure you check him out on social media at Jared Barnes show and check out his YouTube channel in the link, in the link below in the description. As he said, he's got a lot of cool stuff coming up for his viewers um but without further ado let's get into our closing segment i've been waiting all day for this um this has been the most exciting one for me i i I get to bully people who i don't even know like let's go like why not biggest winners and biggest losers of the week in sports here's what i've got here's the biggest winners right here at number three got trevon walker Travon Walker went from being considered the third best player on that Georgia defense. He was being projected to go anywhere from 10th to 16th in almost all of the original mock drafts. Now here we are. 
This week, Trevon Walker become became the odds-on favorite to be the number one overall pick in this year's draft. This is what I call a serious win right there. That's a serious win. You're going from a middle-of-the-road pick to now the number one overall pick. Not only is that a win in, in branding, it's also a win in money. He's going to get a lot of difference. There's a big difference between the first and 10th overall pick. But I can't have him higher than three because if he does become the number one overall pick, that means he has to play for the Jaguars, which is not a serious win. If anything, that's a loss. I, I might have to put you on the biggest losers next week if you do get taken number one overall. Because while it's a win, it's also a loss. At number two, I've got Ja Morant. With the series between the Grizzlies and Timberwolves tied at 2-2, last night in Game 5, the Timberwolves had a double-digit lead with five minutes left in the fourth quarter. Ja Morant absolutely took over in the fourth quarter, scoring 18 points in the fourth quarter alone, while also contributing 13 consecutive points in the fourth quarter, along with hitting a clutch three to take a one-point lead late in the fourth, and two clutch free throws to extend the league, the, the lead. And on top of that, he hit the game-winning basket with one second remaining. Here it is. Man. Brooks, toss it. Morant drives. Morant. Oh, it's good. One second left. John Morant with the bucket. And that's it. A gutty Grizzly win. Come from behind at home. And Morant is the hero. Jaw had 30 points. 13 rebounds and nine assists, which leads which lead led both teams, both the Timberwolves and the Grizzlies, in all of those statistical categories. And he hit the game-winning shot. That is a big win right there, my friend. Now, the number one biggest winner of the week was Jason Tatum. This one was extremely easy. Like I mentioned earlier, Jason Tatum is here. He locked up one of the greatest scorers in the game in Kevin Durant, and completed the series sweep of the Nets in the first round, elevating himself into top 10 and for some, even potentially top five status in the NBA. That is why he is the biggest winner of the week. Now for every winner, there's a loser. And here are the three biggest losers of the week. Now, disclaimer, I'm not calling these people losers, okay? I'm just saying they had a rough week in terms of sports, all right? Anything off the court, I, I, I can't judge if they're a loser on or off the or off the court. All I'm saying is they took some pretty big L's this week. So before anyone gets offended, let me just put that out there. At number three, I have the Philadelphia 76ers. They were up 3-0 on the Toronto Raptors. Now they are facing a game six up 3-2. Embiid is hurt. He tore a ligament in his right thumb that will require surgery this offseason. So that's an L right there. And to make everything worse, the superstar player that you traded for midseason, James Harden, is struggling badly this, this series. Harden is only averaging 18 points per game on 37% from the field. That is another L. I don't think that the 76ers will blow their 3-0 lead to the Raptors. 
But this series is raising some serious questions on their ability to continue their playoff run. Second biggest loser this week was Trey Young. Hey, Trey Young, guess what? You are not him. You are not him. You are not him. I thought Trey Young thrived off playoff atmosphere. I thought this was him. He was the perfect villain. He was the guy. Apparently not this time. Trey Young only averaged 16 and a half points on 35% shooting from the field and an abysmal 21% from three-point land. Also, last night in the elimination game, Trey Young scored only 11 points. He went two for 12 from the field and also went an excellent 0 for 5 from three-point land. The Heat were also missing Kyle Lowry and Jimmy Butler, two of their key players. Even after all of that, Trey Young couldn't capitalize. Trey Young had his chance to emerge into stardom this playoffs, much like Jason Tatum did. However, unlike Jason Tatum, he was squandered by his opponent. That, my friend, is a big L, but not as big as the walking L, the human L, Ben Simmons. Hey, Ben Simmons, guess what? You are not him. You are not him. You are not him. We don't care about your flashy outfits on the sidelines. We want to see you play in an NBA game. Scratch that. We, the fans, the media, and your teammates would like to see you show up and do your job. But you're too scared. You're literally scared to play basketball. It started with Ben Simmons' fear of shooting the basketball. He had a fear of putting the ball in the basket, which is, last time I checked, that's the the main goal of basketball. But now he's literally scared of basketball altogether. And now you have Reggie Miller, Shaq, and basically everyone on the face of the planet calling you out. And rightfully so. Congratulations, Ben Simmons. You've turned into the real life version of Where's Waldo. Except we all know where to find you. And that's on the bench. All right, I think that's enough for today. Thank you all so much for tuning in. And if you haven't already, please make sure to like, follow, and or subscribe. Um, I hope all of you listening have a blessed week this week. And make sure to turn in next week, next Wednesday at 10 a.m. on YouTube Live, uh, Facebook Live, or Twitter Live. And if you can't make it, don't sweat. I got your back because the show will also be uploaded here on YouTube and on all audio platforms such as Spotify and Apple Podcasts after the show is over. Once again, I hope you all have a wonderful week and peace out.